God for this morning together. We just thank you for these times, these simple times meeting together. Just can't help but thinking that one year, two year, five years, ten years from now, we're going to look back at these days and we're going to be like, wow, do you remember that? Remember how how it was, how we started? And Lord, all the times that we've done these types of church plants, it's always been very intimate and wonderful in the beginning. And you've always blessed, Lord. And we just want to think, we just want to pray today for um, Pastor Fires, who's in uh, Haiti, ministering to these people, uh, Greater Grace people that uh, have really been impacted by the hurricane a few weeks ago. Again, we just want to pray for New Zealand, the earthquake there, and just bless this message in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, for some of you, um, well, for all of us, we had a we had a holiday this week. Friday was Veterans Day, and um, I I read an amazing story that really just spoke to me about a guy who was a he was a veteran. He still is, and how he just had had experienced just an incredible. Um, something incredible and you know many times we hear about uh, the the suffering that some of these vets go through and his name was Bobby Gayton and um, he he posted his testimony he wrote a book about how God had delivered him from post-traumatic stress and just over the few months that um, we've had here, I've had this reoccurring thought where uh, post-traumatic stress is not necessarily something that only veterans experience, but it's something that we all face as human beings. And I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about the PTSD part, the dis- disorder part. Um, I think that's another step where, um, where it could be uh, a, a, another type of stress. But, you know, I think that the Bible really teaches us how we can go through the stress that we experience after something very traumatic. And so I want to just talk this week and next week about something really interesting. It's going to be kind of a little bit on the teaching side, um, so I hope I don't lose you. But um, I'm going to try to get uh, most of these points up on the screen. I guess, does this, do these, do these, um, these visual aids help? Do you guys like visual aids? I do too. I'm very visual. So if I see something, I can remember it. So the first thing I just want to say really is that PTS, and this is not a psychology class or a support group or anything like that. This is about God's mind in every subject in our life. And uh, PTS is something that not only veterans suffer, but if you're a human being, you're going to at one point in time experience the post-traumatic stress, which really just means that the anxiety, the guilt, the shame, uh, the lack of peace, the anger, all of these things that we as human beings suffer after something traumatic happens in our life, um, uh, almost everyone has had things happen in their life that they wish never had happened. And sometimes they're simple regrets while others are life-changing situations. Some are things we actually participated in uh, others were caused by someone else's actions and I have some material here from different sources and if you'd like to know where the sources are I can let you know um, I just don't have time to read all the resources here 
this morning at the message. Some things are things that we actively have participated in, and other things are caused by someone else's actions or circumstances outside of our control. And this is really one quick point I want to make is that uh, we are not in control of our worlds. We are not in control of our life. Um, We would like to think that, but there is so much in our life that's so out of control that um, we are going to be injured or we are going to be the injurer. And I have some really awesome examples in the Bible here. Pain or even a feeling of depression or desperation is often the result. The hurt of the situation or the sting of regret remains. Sometimes the reminders of these events can send a person into upsetting, spiraling discouragement, doubt, and fear. This is what one Christian um, counselor had said about the subject. And so things can happen, and just usually it can be very easily um, defined as a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. You know, a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Uh, Something that we would naturally react to in a very abnormal, out of the out of the uh, ordinary situation, something that we were not necessarily expecting that would happen to us, and so there's usually two types here that are engaged in this, and this is the perpetrator or the one that is doing the, and then there is the victim. This week, I want to talk about one perpetrator in the Bible that was that should be an amazing example of this. And then next week, I want to talk about the victim, how the victim recovers out of this. And so uh, I want us, and this really helped me, after I read that story Friday, I just started thinking about it, and I started reading about it. spent the most of the day on Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon reading about this and kind of digesting what does this mean. And it helped me really to understand how to talk to people and how to lead people. And so we, we a person that uh, struggles with, PTS. And let's like let's not think about the veteran, but let's just think about how things can happen in our life where we fail, or we cause failure, or we, or something happens to us where we find ourselves really living in a, in stress. Uh, that could actually happen when we think about our past, or our past past, whatever our past is. Um, and when we think about this, and we analyze what is PTS and what and there's a lot of different names we could call it. We could just call it anxiety. But it's when a person's always on. They're just always on. And they're hyper aware of their surroundings. There's a lot of inner anxiety and there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of shame. And this can happen to any of us, probably all of us. There's none, none of us in this room that are, that are obsolete from it. And so when we look at some examples in the Bible, I think one amazing example is Paul. Paul the Apostle. I just want to tell you a, a short story that had happened to us, and maybe you've heard this before, but um, there was a time several years ago where a group of us were doing a lot of outreach in the form of Yugoslavia, Bosnia, Serbia, Herzegovina, Croatia, and we just saw some incredible stuff. This was just only a few years after the Civil War there. How many remember the Civil War that was happening there? Just the, the incredible things that you were seeing on TV that incredible stories and just the destruction and the massacre and and unbelievable well my wife and I um, knew one woman she was Bosnian I don't know if you remember her honey this is she worked at Joe's place and she had a son her whole family I'm not gonna go into the details but her whole family was killed and she just she escaped it took her three weeks to get out of the country because she would only travel at night with her little child going through the woods and 
Jesus had crossed these paths of these mass graves, just people had been executed hours before. And she said, I'll just never forget that. And, and um, we all heard the amazing stories and the unbelievable, you know, what people experienced. But I thought, you know, as we were, so we really wanted to go there, me and Pastor Tomasz Bulicek, who is now a pastor in Serbia and pastoring a church. It's just a beautiful thing that's happened there. There was a, there was a church that had no pastor, and he became their pastor, and it's just a wonderful thing that's going on. He and I traveled there with a small group, and we just traveled from Slovenia. It just took maybe a week and a half through Slovenia down to down to Croatia, down to Bosnia, uh, down to some Sarajevo, just to some really unbelievable places. Then we went over to Serbia. And uh, we were in Sarajevo, and we just thought, you know, this is going to be really open because, of, you know, it was just a war-torn place. It was just very, you know, a lot of, lot of pain here. And uh, we got there. We were just there maybe 25 minutes, and we were just... There were mosques everywhere. Everybody was saying that we're now Muslims because the Serbs really, they had this total reaction to the war. And they said, well, now we're all going to be Muslims. And they were all very, very anti-God. And I just was, we were just like maybe 20, 25 minutes there. I was ready to go. <laughs> I said, God, this is, I'm done. I said, if, if you don't give someone us, if you don't give someone to us in 10 minutes, and I said this to my team, I said, if, if nothing happens in 10 minutes, we're just going to get in the car and we're just going to move on. We're going to go to the next town. I was just so, like, I had it with that place. And, and we went to the restaurant where Bill, Bill Clinton ate dinner and we met the restaurant owner, and that was maybe the highlight of the whole thing. But as we were about ready to go, we're walking down the, 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 the uh, sidewalk, <clears throat> and there's a man off to the right, and he goes, uh, what are you handing out? And he said this in English, and I looked over to him, and there was just, like this kind of, like, kind of a thin man, kind of, you know, kind of with some leather and jeans, and... Um, Kind of, you know, he had some books sell, he was selling on the, on the bench. And so I went over to him, we just started talking to him, and we began to share the gospel with him. And uh, come to find out, he uh, was a translator for the UN. Uh, and that was um, after he had, um, after his entire unit, his 12-man military unit was killed in a battle in Sarajevo. He was the only one that survived. And his, you know, his arm was maimed. He had a real bad limb. He was, he was, he should have died, but he had survived, and it was just incredible, um, just the sight to see such a broken young man. And he said to me, he said, I shared the, the gospel with him. He goes, Oh, I can't be saved. I said, Well, why not? He said, Because I have done so many terrible things. He said, He says, You ever hear of Sniper Alley? And I said, Yes. And Sniper Alley was just that place where it was the main street, walking street uh, of Sarajevo, where a lot of people lived there, Long Street. And anyone that would walk out in that street would just be shot. You could be a local, you could be military. It was just incredibly um, horrible. And he said, I was one of those snipers. He said, I was one of these people that were just, through my my, my scope, ending people's lives. And... Uh, he said, I had to do this because, this, you know, there were so many different factions and so many military units that, although I was Serbian, I was fighting for the Bosnians, and it was just such a, su- such, so much confusion. And he said, there's no way I could ever be saved. He said, I, I, am, he said, I can't sleep at night. I'm so destroyed, he said. And he said, uh, he said I'm, I'm on drugs. He said, I started taking drugs, and he said, I got off of it, but... Uh, I am just in such a mess. There's no way I could ever be saved. So you're wasting your time with me. 
And he told me a lot more, too. He showed me a picture of his whole unit, just 12 or 13 men, black and white picture. And he said, they're all gone. He said, my job, my unit, job was to guard this one hill in the city so that if tanks come up, came up the hill, that we would take them out before they were able to come into the city. And he said, in one battle, we, we, were, you know, we were bombed or something. And uh, you could see the buildings where NATO had bombed in Serbia. It was just unbelievable. The Ministry of, the Ministry of, inter, of what do they call that? The Ministry of Internal Foreign Affairs, Affairs something had two huge round holes in it, and that was where that was where um, two missiles from an F-16 had gone into the building and blown out the whole back of the building. You could see where they entered. It was just something so dystopian, so surreal. And I didn't know what to say to this guy. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been so much so much pain and suffering that you just didn't even know what to say to them. I don't know how about you, but I just thought, I don't know what to say to this guy, God. And immediately the Holy Spirit being so faithful as he is, he, he reminded me of Paul, Paul the Apostle. And I wanted to look at Paul's life here, and I shared this story with, with him. And at the end of the message, I'll tell you how it turned out. But look at Paul, Paul's condition. Paul the Apostle, the five-star general in God's army, and I want to read a couple verses to you. Some of them are in the Amplified. The first one is uh, Acts 8, verse 3. But Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously with cruelty and violence. And entering house after house, he dragged out men and women. He did. He did. Men and women and committed them to prison. Now, that doesn't sound like a nice guy, does it? <laughs> you know, I was reading about Paul's biography and what he said about him and what he did. Historians say that he was equal to what, well, let's pick a figure out in today's society, al-Baghdadi, okay, the head of ISIS. I mean, this guy, Paul, was like, in a lot of ways, like him. He was dragging men and women out of their home, dragging them out of their homes, throwing them into prison, in some cases, murdering them. As we know, in Acts chapter 9, he murders Stephen. Uh, let's look at another verse where Paul describes what he did. I, I just want to—I want us to get the gravity of where he was at and the severity of what he did, and what he was dealing with after he got saved. In Acts 22, verse four and five, he said, "I persecuted this way to the death." Okay, wow. This is New King James version: binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Also, as also the high priest bears me witness. And all the council of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. He was on a mission to just, and he would get, he was so systematic. He got all the documentation he needed. He, this was not a man that was living in just rage. This was pre-calculated um, anger and Another, another verse here in Galatians 1, verse 13 in the Amplified. You have heard of my earlier career and former manner of life in the Jewish religion, Judaism, how I persecuted and abused the church of God furiously and extensively and with fanatical zeal did my best to make havoc of it and destroy it. This was the man that, that we know as the Apostle Paul before he got saved. Incredible. Just incredible. Incredible. Paul had a lot of inner pain. I mean, he had a lot of, he had a lot of guilt, shame, and fear, didn't he? Um, 
And sometimes when we talk to people that have suffered great things, uh, sometimes even veterans will say this, and I've talked to people, and they'll say, do you think that my life will ever be normal again? Do you think that the pain will ever go away? And I think that we as Christians, being very well-meaning, sometimes just throw hope at people and just say, hey, you know, it's going to be God's good. It's going to get better. You know, we try to be try to throw out that divine optimism without a cross. And this is where the problem comes because I read one one commentator or one counselor said that when we try to counsel someone without the cross, we're trying to put a band-aid on wet skin. It's just going to slip off. And because throwing hope and optimism at someone in trouble, it doesn't help them. I just think that uh, I want to be a student all of my life and how to talk to people, how to relate, how to communicate to people, how to know people and understand where they're at so we can minister to Christ. And so these are the two mistakes <clears throat> that we make sometimes that we put too much emphasis on the experience in the attempt to identify, right? You know, how about that famous line, I feel your pain? <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain, you know? And we, you know, it's it's like, okay, you feel my pain, but we make too much of an emphasis of the experience. And then on the other hand, we move too quickly to move on to forgive and to forget. And we don't understand what the word forget means. And I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, Jesus had empathy and compassion, but he never empowered the problem. Okay, Jesus had compassion on people, right? But he never empowered people's problems. Like, he never let people worship their problems. He identified it. He heard their problems. He listened to them. But then he also brought in a cure, a solution. He brought in the answer. And he didn't let people live in worshiping their problem and their pain. Now, I can't say that I've been through some of the things that maybe some people that we know have gone through. Um, I can't say that I even understand. I can't even imagine what some people have gone through. But that doesn't disqualify us from just being a good, a good um, counselor, a, a, a wise, spirit-filled counselor. So, what was Paul's, what was Paul's, what was Paul's way out of the situation? How did Paul get out of it? As Christians, really, our our mission is to is to help people get divine meaning out of what they're going through through the pain. Like, maybe we can't remove the pain or the effects of the event and we shouldn't pretend to only God can do that but we can point people in the right direction we're not called to remove people's pain we're not called to ignore it but pain is just the, the result of living in a world that's of fallen personalities and fallen sinners and you know we're all going to experience fallen natures and we have to understand how to deal with that when Paul was in this position uh, he was faced with with how does he get out of this? In First Timothy one verse thirteen, uh, it said he gives. There are three verses here, and I think it just points to three things that really got Paul started as a perpetrator, as the man who was the offender, the one who was um, creating just spiritual carnage everywhere. He was the one that needed to be delivered. And again, next week we'll talk about the victim, but 
but uh, he was the perpetrator. How you know? A lot of times, perpetrators are really looked at evil people. They're looked at as evil people. Like, no redemption for that person. You know, in the in the Catholic Church, there is even I I just heard it this week that there is a doctrine that there are those that can be redeemed and those that can't be redeemed. Right? The unredeemables. Right? And those are the ones that Jesus came for. Paul would be considered unredeemable. The perpetrator, the offender, the wor- the really bad guy was the one that was... Um, he himself, did he even know how he could get out of it? And many times they are demonized and they are, they are really hated. But Paul says here, 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, uh, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious... But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Does that sound like a cop out to you? It does. It sounds like to me it does. Oh, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, got to give me grace. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was going to hurt everybody. I didn't know me dragging people out of the house was going to injure their relationships and throwing them in jail was going to injure them. And I didn't even know. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul also said in Romans chapter six. He said that it was no longer I, but that sin that was in me that that did it. Sounds like a little kid trying to explain to their parent, you know, like it wasn't my fault. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. And but Paul here is not he's not Paul's not talking about um, the lack of human responsibility, the lack of of responsibility. He's talking about something that Jesus said when Jesus died on the cross. Do you remember when Jesus said in John 19, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Remember that? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. We've got to remember that. Even the perpetrator, whenever we sin, whenever we live in sin, whenever we are hurting people, or we don't even know it that we're hurting people, or, we're, or people are hurting us and we don't even know it, how do we, how, how do we relate to that? How do we understand? We've got to understand it from this perspective that we really don't know what we're doing. We, we, I mean, if we understood really what was happening, I think that, that we wouldn't do it. But sin is something that happens that causes deception and blindness, blind spots. And we just, you know, Paul just didn't, didn't really know what he was doing. And Paul said to the Corinthian church, you know, if they understood that this was the Prince of Glory, they wouldn't have crucified him. So sin is always something that's happening in ignorance. And Paul is saying, he said, I was, I, I was really truly ignorant. And... Uh, we see later on that Paul doesn't skirt confession and honesty and authenticity before God, but he is stating something that Jesus said. So, and I'm getting now into the victim part, but I want to talk about that next week. As if we have been, you know, I, Gosh and I had heard this last week, two weeks ago, when we were at our training for um, adoption. What was it, honey, 28% of Americans? 28% of Americans have been abused as children. Can you, can you, it's unbelievable. That means I was driving down the road at 45 the other day, and I was looking at four different cars. I thought, one of those cars, the driver has been maybe abused. I don't know. You know, it's like, what, a, what perspective that brings into our minds. Of, out of four people, with the people that I work with have been in some way abused. Does that make them less of a person? No, absolutely not. It does not at all. And, but we live in a society that doesn't, have, not, doesn't know how to handle victimhood. And I'm getting into next week's message, so I just got to kind of rewind a little bit. Um, 
people have been really abused and it happens and Paul says I I obtained mercy I obtained mercy what does that mercy mean mercy just remember mercy just means that we don't get what we deserve we just don't get what we deserve we don't get we don't get the hell that we deserve Uh, I think that we live in such an entitled society today a customer service oriented society and Christianity where if my needs as a as a church parishioner are not fully met then I'm going to I'm going to rebel and just blame everybody. It's like these are these extreme situations. I remember when we went to Bible college, Sean may remember this and some of you may remember this, Eduardo. When we went to Bible college, many times the first thing that um, the first thing that we were told by our dean of students was there's one thing that we promise here. We we're like, what's that? The cross, crucifixion, death. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's all good. Until like two weeks later, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> and I had to apply that message. Paul said, I'm receiving mercy because I'm not getting what I deserve. Is that beautiful? And number two, the second verse, verse 14. So the perpetrators give mercy. What? That doesn't make any sense. That what? That just... God's justice system is not our justice. And mercy reigns and grace reigns. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding, exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's first step out of the condition that he was in was, number one, to understand mercy. And I think that, you know, think of the soldier that, you know, and sometimes when we talk to them, I've talked to a few soldiers and it, you can see it's, it's very painful for them to even remember it, to talk about what the horrors of war and the immorality of it and just, uh, you know, the unbelievable stories of just innocent people that died at their hands, uh, maybe unknowingly. And the first thing that we have to understand if we're in that place is mercy. God is just merciful. God is just so merciful to us because God is a God of all mercy. That mercy does not give us what we deserve, and that's the first step that Paul took out of his out of his situation. The second step was grace. He just started walking in grace, taking steps in grace, meaning that you know what, I didn't get what I deserve, but you know what, God's going to give me what I just don't deserve in my life, and that applies to all of us. You know, we can look at our life like, well, I deserve this, but I don't deserve that. We are already outside of God's mind when we're thinking that way. Uh, we, we need to live like Paul did in grace, and, and grace produces two things, faith and love, right? Abundant grace with faith and love. When we start to digest grace as someone that's struggling with just this post-traumatic stress, first we understand I'm not getting what I deserve, and secondly, I'm, gonna, I'm going to walk in this, in this grace Two things are going to pop up in my life, faith and love. My capacity to trust God is going to grow. My capacity to, to, to trust in His plan is going to grow. My capacity to trust in His promises is going to grow. My capacity to take steps that are just so radically different than I would imagine is going to grow. And, you know, as we take steps of faith, we are stepping out. We are, st- we are leaving our, not our, only our, com- there's our comfort zone, but there's another zone. It's called the control zone. I'm stepping out of my comfort and control zone, and I'm just walking on the water. And we begin to discover two things, faith and the love of God. I think that 
if we could just have every morning, like this morning I got up really early and I was just praying and I said, God, this is your church. These are your people. This is your work. This is not my work. This is your plan. This is your, this is what you're doing. And, and, and when we begin to worship God for his greatness and his grace and what everything changes, we begin to walk in faith and we begin to walk in the new capacity that love gives us. And we begin to love people. You know, God doesn't give discernment to us unless there's... God will give discernment to a person who is just broken in the love of God. Number three, and this is the verse 15, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is the third thing that the third process or the third step that just got Paul out of his out of his stress was just humility. You know, Paul was a perpetrator. He was the offender. He was a prosecutor. And he 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 didn't walk around confessing it all the time, but he 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 was not hiding it either. There was genuine authenticity. There was honesty in his life. And so I just want to two things. How did Paul move on after that? Because after that, after that, after Paul got out of it, he had to move on. And this is Philippians 3, verse 13. And this is what this one veteran was saying, um, you know, in, in his testimony. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't there yet, but he understood what forget means. And I looked at that word early this morning. What does the word forget in the Greek mean? Because, you know, many times we hear this classic line, I forgive you, but I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget. It's like, well, you might as well not even forgive me because, you know, forget that, you know. I guess every time I see you, I'm just going to remember what I did, you know. So uh, Paul understood what the word forget means. And it... I want to look at that word in a second, but he says, I have not gotten there. Um, Paul understood that there was a work of God in his life and that as the perpetrator, two things can coexist. Pain and growth coexist. You know, just Paul could, Paul could talk about in brokenness about his past, but he was growing and but he understood what to do. He understood what forget means. And then number two, he leaned into his life with God with divine expectation. He leaned into it. You know, you ever talk to someone and they're just leaning into the conversation that just I had heard? Um, you hear these, these uh, what do they call them? Gesture, people that understand body language gurus. They understand body language. And they say that, oh, you were saying this. You were saying this to me the other day. I'm the guru. Yeah. <laughs> that when someone's leaning in on the conversation, that means that they're really, in, they're, really they, they're into it. They really have, like, they, they're excited. They want, they're buying into it. And then Paul here is saying in the Greek, I'm leaning into my life with God. I'm leaning into it. I'm not sitting back passively, introspective, rejecting, an- analyzing, um, questioning. I'm leaning into it. Paul said, I'm leaning into my life with divine expectation. 
He understood what forget means, and then he learned how to lean into his life with expectation. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to take our past and destroy our future expectations in areas of our life, those areas that we've been that we've been uh, messed up in. And so I want to finish with this. What does this word forget mean when Paul talked about this? It's the Greek word epilantheno, all right? And the word epi, as we know, just means fully, totally, absolutely. It's a preposition. Greek, Greek is an amazing language because it's just made up of parts. And the preposition for all the grammar smarties here, preposition is, am I getting this right, preposition? The first part of the word points here to something that's fully been done, fully. And the word lantheno doesn't mean to forget, but it means to, it lays hidden, neglected. Isn't it awesome? That maybe I can't forget something, it's still there, and like I can't maybe forget what I did, or you know, maybe it's just, um, but I can, I can neglect it, and I don't have to feed it, and it can just lay there hidden. It can just be there. Maybe it's in my soul, but it doesn't, I'm not giving it power in my life to take over my life in guilt and shame, right? Like when someone says, I forgive you, and I forget, what that means is, is that, well, maybe sometimes it comes back in certain circumstances that will remind me of this, or maybe I'm in certain environments that just cause me to be insecure, and like to make, cause me to remember all of this, and you know, like, uh, and causes me to be fully aware and hyper aware and always on and unable to be relaxed and, and all of these things. But you know what? I don't have to give that memory power in my life. I don't have to feed it with just meditation and going over it. You know, it's like there, yes, it's there. But you know what? I am occupied with something new now. I'm occupied with the process out, which is mercy, grace, um, faith and love and and now forgetting and I just want to finish with this is that Paul learned how to replace living in the past with God's call future calling in his life and that's what we want to do is that we want to live in the future calling of what God has for us because when we do that we can live in divine expectation and press towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus he was not going to allow the emotion of it to take him over. Amen. So let just do we let's have a, a just maybe five or seven minutes of just discussion. Um, what are do we have any comments or questions at all?